Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available... On digital, Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to The Coindesk Podcast Network. Happy Friday and welcome to The Hash. You are watching us on Coindesk TV. And if you're listening to us, you're listening on The Coindesk Podcast Network. I'm Jen Sinassi here today with Will Foxley and Danny Nelson. Hello, guys. Good Welcome to, to be here. Danny, great Always to see great you. Always to have you, Danny. You are a fan favorite here on The Hash. Will, you got our first story. I do. We're talking about Gemini, which this story has been going on for a while. We have no resolution, but we do have some more antics. And that is that Gemini is going to sue Genesis in court. It's going to sue DCG founder Barry Silbert for alleging fraud. They, of course, owed $1.2 billion for the fallout after Genesis went into Chapter 11 filings. This all stemmed back from the collapse of Three Arrows Capital, a huge hedge fund that went under about a year ago, this time last year. Three Arrows Capital had a lot of money out on loan from uh, Genesis, and that went up the stack to DCG, which owns Genesis. Over the last nine plus months, we've seen Genesis, DCG, and uh, Barry Silbert go back and forth with tweets, letters, comments. It's kind of been pretty messy, to be honest. But at the end of the day, Genesis earned customers are owed a lot of money and they want it back. And they think that Barry Silbert is the person who needs to pay them. Just, of course, a disclosure, Coindesk is owned by DCG. Jen, I'll throw this one to you. You've been in the hot seat covering this on First Mover. What's been your general takeaway from this whole saga? This is obviously a, uh, a new level of escalation. Yeah, well, I think this is just another story that highlights the intermingledness that kind of led to this contagion and domino effect that we're dealing with now. I want to point to one of the tweets in the thread by Cameron Winklevoss. He says, from the beginning, Genesis acted in concert with defendants and with defendants' active support and encouragement induced the Gemini earned lenders to lend by touting Genesis's purportedly robust risk management practices and a supposedly thorough vetting process of the counterparties to which it relent the assets. The filing said, then he says, those were lies. I think these are really big allegations to be making. And it's interesting that we're seeing this play out on Twitter. Well, like you said, it's been kind of a messy back and forth on Twitter. 
with comments in different filings. And I think that this is maybe a decent strategy to show Gemini earned customers that something is being done. And the Winklevoss twins are taking this very seriously. They are holding the people who they think should be held accountable to the utmost accountability. And they are broadcasting in their own words along the way. For me, that's like the really interesting part to follow with this story, given, you know, all of the lawsuits and bankruptcies we have. This is what stands out in this one. I think I saw your hand go back up, Will. Yes, this has been continuing forever. There's a lot of different entities involved here. It's been very messy. I mean, just think of the Gemini side, right? Everyone who is involved with Gemini was uh, probably an earned customer here that was chasing that 7.6% yield. And when that collapsed with the fall of 3AC, all those funds became stuck within this whole program. They're trying to get their money back out. So you know, there is you know, thousands of entities involved with this. I think Gemini Arm was one of the largest retail products out there. And at the same time, there was that lawsuit with SEC, uh, I think back in January or so, or February, with the SEC saying that the program that Gemini and Genesis were running together looked like a security. I don't know where that one ended up. I haven't seen any updates recently, but it just goes to the point like a lot of these products. There's a lot of people involved and there's a lot of, uh, there's no clarity on the situation at all, even on the, the legal side. Danny? To me, it seems like the base of these allegations stem from the risk management department, right? Because it's Gemini, right? Yeah, I get that she's mixed up. But Gemini it's... is saying that Genesis induced customers to put money in by having or purported to have a very robust risk management department that really didn't follow through because it didn't catch 3AC. Now, you know, in crypto, it's sort of become a meme, right? When these companies blow up, people buy the t-shirt that says, insert company name here, risk management department, FTX risk management, Genesis risk management, because we always joke, these risk management departments just aren't up to snuff. So what I'm excited for in this suit, if it moves forward, is the discovery process, because then we might get a chance to better understand how Genesis's risk management department actually operated, because that would be at the key of these fraud allegations if it was fraudulent in presenting itself as robust and doing its job, or really if it just didn't have the controls that it should have. So that is the big tell that I'm looking toward in this case, even though that's probably months, maybe even years down the line. Yeah, DCG tweeted just as we started the show that... The Gemini lawsuit is a publicity stunt. It says that it is blameless and defamatory. It's, it's quite a long tweet, so you can go and read it. I think that this kind of comes back to the fact that it's all being broadcast on Twitter. I think reading like this is a publicity stunt, it's easy to draw that parallel. But at the same time, Danny, I agree with you. I look forward to seeing the discovery and seeing some of the evidence behind the claims that are being made here. Well, last thoughts? It's going to drag on for a while. If you are sitting in Gemini Earn account, I guess you are on the side of the Winklevoss twins, but maybe not. I think the whole industry is sort of watching this one and hoping that there's a peaceful resolution. So we shall see. Jen, I'll throw it to you for the next story. Okay, so some different drama than we're used to talking about here, kind of. Kraken co-founder Jesse Powell is under federal investigation on claims of hacking and cyber-stalking a nonprofit that he founded. FBI agents searched his LA home, probing whether he interfered with computer accounts of Verge Center for the Arts. A lawyer for Powell said he's done, quote, nothing wrong. So this has nothing to do with Kraken. This is all about Powell. But interesting, if you're a conspiracy theorist, Danny, I'll, I'll toss it off to you. What do you make of this story? 
Throw it off to the conspiracy theorist. All right, that's fine. I'll take it. Uh, you know, it is and it isn't related to crypto, right? Like the the dispute here stems from this arts organization that Powell founded in 2007. And he was on its board of directors for a long time since. And he left that border. He was pushed out of it, I believe, a year ago uh, because he apparently stopped showing up to meetings. And his political views did not align with the guiding principles of the group. And so they said, get out of here. And when he did get out of there, when they kicked him out, he allegedly made life very difficult for their IT department by shutting down the email accounts and stuff like that. It was really making things difficult. And right in that story that I just outlined, you actually get back to the crypto angle because those guiding principles that Powell differed with the arts organization on, that whole kerfuffle came right after he pushed Kraken staff to either stay in line or leave if their political views diverged from Kraken. So, uh, Will, I'll toss it over to you. Do you remember that case? Yeah, that was an interesting story. Uh, that sort of happened around the same time that Coinbase was interacting in similar principles, right, where they said, don't bring politics into the office. We don't want to deal with that. We have a purpose here. That purpose is monetary freedom through cryptocurrency. So let's focus on that. Sort of what Kraken did as well. Kraken, of course, and Jesse Powell have been far more outspoken on that front and has like a long history of like a lot of different things I've been you know, spoken about in traditional media with a lot of backlash. That being said, as a tie to this story, it's sort of interesting to look at like the traditional way that some of these organizations can run, the fact that you can be kicked out, and then working within the crypto space where you know you can make pronouncements like that. And for the most part, like you're fine. It's very hard to be canceled within crypto uh, for, for whatever reason. A lot of times, uh, even the scammers seem to find their way back into crypto. And by no means calling Jesse Powell or Kraken or anyone there in that sense. But it's funny how there's like a very large cultural divergence from the traditional world and crypto. And I think that's one thing that does make crypto like a little bit more robust to, to different cycles. To the story itself, one thing I wanted to point out is like there was an FBI raid involved with this. Like seemingly a lot of people are taking this very seriously. Uh, though Jesse Powell in a tweet referring to the story responded to an account called Autism Capital stating that he was not really on Twitter for the moment and wasn't like super concerned about this because he was playing uh, like Diablo 4 a video game or something like that. So, you know, we got a lot of different characters involved in the story and they're taking it in like different strides to say the least. But this is a good drama story. I do like it. Jen? It's a good drama one. You know, I feel like in this industry, we get these like damning stories that involve a lot of players and different government agencies. And then you'll have like the main person of that story come out on Twitter and be like, I don't care. I'm chilling on a beach or I'm playing a game. It's just a crazy industry we work in. I wonder if we see, you know, computers get seized in this investigation for the cyber stalking and hacking and maybe some of the evidence like I'll take the conspiracy theory route here. Maybe some of the evidence they discover leads to some kind of lawsuit or investigation into his crypto dealings. And that could be interesting and I wouldn't be surprised at all. But again, I don't have any information or facts to back that up. That is just from my own head. Before we go to the break, I need to correct myself from our first segment. Apparently, I said blameless. That was just a blunder of my mouth on a Friday. You know, can't always get the words out correctly. DCG called Gemini's lawsuit a publicity stunt and said it's baseless and defamatory. So there we go. Fact checking myself. Danny, Will, have any last thoughts on the story? I appreciate the fact check. Quality Good journalism. Check. Absolutely. Yeah, we always got to correct ourselves. 
we are talking about one of my favorite topics, which is bridges that don't work so well. Multi-chain, that bridge company that about a month ago uh, had to come clean with the uncomfortable confirmation that its CEO is nowhere to be seen, apparently is losing a lot of money and no one's really quite sure why. Yesterday, three different bridging contracts, one for Phantom, one for Moon River, and one for Doge Chain, started losing in total over $120 million of various cryptocurrencies in what looks like an exploit, but no one's really quite sure. The multi-chain company, the multi-chain Twitter account came forward yesterday and said, yeah, we're not sure what's happening with this money. It's leaving our access and we don't know why. Stay tuned. And by the way, maybe don't use multi-chain bridges for the time being. So all this to me just speaks to a company that really has no idea what is going on and is very concerning because bridges, as we all have learned, are very important to the crypto ecosystem in moving tokens from one chain to another. You have to trust in the bridge to feel certain that your tokens will have a value. And if the bridges aren't able to keep the tokens in check, let alone a handle on their own understanding of the situation, like what are we to do? when the second biggest bridging company is having issues like this. Jen, I'll start with you. What do you think of all this? What are we to do? What I haven't heard greater words when talking about bridges, Danny. So we hear so many attacks, hacks, vulnerabilities when we talk about bridges. So when I saw the headline, I was like, oh, okay, another bridge exploit. But then when we get into the story, there are so many little tidbits that make this one extra interesting to me. So you mentioned the CEO went AWOL. No one knows what happened to the CEO. And there's some speculation that the executive team was arrested in China. Then you had like last month, there were a bunch of technical issues and the team kind of was really quiet, not saying much about what was going on. And now we have this hack and they're out there saying, actually, stop using the product. We still don't know what's going on. It just is all seeming very strange. And I don't know what to make of it. But I think it just highlights the fact that we're still so, I'm going to say it, we're no. still so early. We're <laughs> still so early. And there are so many things to figure out in individual ecosystems. And when you add this extra capability to connect those ecosystems together to make things more interoperable, of course, there are going to be vulnerabilities like this. Maybe not this specific situation, but yeah, I think that's what it highlights for me. Will, what do you think? Did you, do you have more sense to make of the story? I like to think so, but possibly not. We'll find out in a second. You guys give me a rating. To Danny's question, what are we to do if bridges don't work? Well, I don't know, Danny. Like, sort of the purpose of crypto is like scamming people, right? And bridges incentivize that in a really good way. So, like, we can just continue to roll out these bridges that don't work and everyone can get scammed that way. I would love to see some charts of like the amount of crypto stolen from wallets from hot wallets, from exchanges, and then against bridges, because I think bridges would be up there in the top. They'd probably be one of the highest uh, amount of scams, because at the end of the day, these are just multi-sigs, more or less. And it just means that a few developers or possibly a few smart contracts are running these things, and people can break into them. Bridges are not what a lot of people think they are. They're not this trustless two-way peg where assets can flow back and forth. They are very much so escrowed accounts that have the ability to lock in funds and then release funds on the other side. But those funds are not the same. They're not necessarily always fungible. Take WBTC, for example, wrap Bitcoin. Basically, how wrap Bitcoin works is you give Bitcoin to BitGo and then they issue WBTC, which is an Ethereum token version of it. That's sort of a bridge. It's not as complex as the other ones, but it does allow you to bridge from the Bitcoin ecosystem to the Ethereum ecosystem. 
using a centralized entity in between. If that centralized entity is ever caught in some sort of issue, whether that be legal, political, or even on the developer front with illegal activity, well, you're going to have a bad time. Now, one thing to this, I think is a possibly a good note, is most of the tokens here that have been stolen or missing are actually funds that could likely be frozen. And that would include a lot of USDC and WBTC. So if the teams or the DAOs behind this do contact those entities, they might be able to freeze funds. They might also just be able to put those funds on a blacklist and have new funds issued. Because at the end of the day, as a bridging token, the real assets do reside somewhere else. And you might be able to get out of this in a better fashion than it looks like on paper as of now. But it's not looking good. Danny? It is not looking good. And I will say, you know, anytime you have a bridge, you almost certainly have a centralized entity behind it. And that's, that's one point of failure. The other point of failure is the bridge might break or it might, someone might steal from it and take the assets. So those are two really important things to keep in mind when using a bridge. And also to me, it stands to reason that there's actually a better way of doing this. USDC and Circle have actually put forward a pretty good solution. So any ecosystem that has native USDC Circle is progressively rolling out this new type of bridge that when you put the USDC in on one side, it will destroy that USDC and then reissue the USDC on the other side. So that takes away entirely any risk of these funds being locked up in an escrow where they're, they may be susceptible to a hack or a theft because they're just going away and then being recreated somewhere else. Now, you know, this is only possible because Circle is a centralized entity and this is a centralized stable coin that is under its purview, but it is a much safer bridging solution when you think about all these $100 million hacks that we see over and over and over again in crypto. I think so as well. Maybe we'll have the centralized bridging solutions for all the risk-averse people and the decentralized solutions for the riskier ones. Well, that's a funny thing, right? The decentralized option is the one that is inherently centralized. There's not really any sort of sidechain solution out there that functionally works besides maybe some of these rollups that are being built on. And even those, once you get to the L2, you have like a sequencer problem where that's also a centralized entity. So a lot of work to be done. Jenna, I know we made fun of you for saying it's early days, but it is early days when it comes to L2s and bridging. I don't know. You guys always make fun of me, but I'm not always saying things that are totally it's out there. It's just a little cringy. It's just, just a little cringy. Sometimes. Yeah, got to bring the cringe to the show. You know? It's true. Okay. It's true. All right, let's move on. Threads. Did either of you sign up for a Threads account first before we get into the story? You did. Danny? I have not. Nope. I have not also. Well, Will, you'll have to give us the intel on, on how it's going. Threads hit 30 million users a day after launch, while Twitter threatens legal action against Meta for hiring ex-Twitter employees with knowledge of the company's trade secrets. Threads has been able to compete with Twitter, some are saying like no other platform has before because of the Instagram inter integration that allows you to follow all of the same people that you follow on Instagram. Will, since you signed up for Threads, what has your experience been like? Are you going to say goodbye to Twitter? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, we talked about this yesterday. I didn't have an Instagram account for years and then just like rebooted back up because of threads and then immediately was hit with a bunch of high school friends I did not want to see on a Twitter clone. That just felt very awkward to navigate around. And before I knew it, there was just a bunch of brand ads everywhere. A lot of like cringy material, a lot of weird tweets. They're kind of like putting this out there as Twitter, but safe for everyone. I think they're going to do a lot of work on sort of the censorship front and take down things that they don't like. 
And so maybe it's like more friendly for brands and I guess for people who don't want to deal with like the trash bucket that is Twitter often. But at the same time, like I don't think the content was as good. Now towards the Twitter versus meta take, the interesting discussion here on the crypto angle is that there's been a lot of people who've been trying to build things outside of Twitter. If you look through Bitcoin's history, there's sort of been like progression of moving away from different social platforms. So in the early days, you had Bitcoin talk forums, and then there's this movement to Reddit. And then now it's on Twitter, right? And so a lot of these people have been like, hey, we don't like Twitter as much these days. Like Elon's been testing a prod. It hasn't been as great. What if we could go to Noster or Mastodon or Blue Sky? A lot of these applications just haven't taken off that well. Uh, I think Noster's maybe had the most successful launch to date. But even that, if you look at it, it's pretty small, like very small. The thing with threads is it did grow very fast, right? They had like 30 million users within one day because people were just able to port over their Instagram accounts almost immediately. The question here is like, can it stick? Twitter's been very sticky. It's one of the smaller giant social platforms out there with like a little over 300 million users, I believe. That's comparative like Facebook's billions of users. I just don't know if it's going to stick though, because Twitter is and remains a dominant platform for connecting people who have interesting ideas and takes in forms of uh, microblogging. Danny? Yeah, I think Elon's just being very insecure here, right? He's already burned $44 billion and pissed off a lot of people and a lot of brands. And now Instagram, Facebook, Meta is coming through with what really is a Twitter clone, right? Threads looks like Twitter, feels like Twitter from the limited amounts I've interacted with it. It's the latest Twitter clone, Blue Sky being the other one, but it definitely poses the biggest challenge to Twitter's dominance. Whether that will become sticky remains to be seen. I don't necessarily think it will. I think that everyone on Twitter really actually loves to hate the trash bucket. No one's going to be writing off Twitter just quite just yet. Uh, what stands out to me for Threads and what it brings to the table that Twitter doesn't have is its use of this protocol called ActivityPub, which will allow it to, in theory, be more centralized network. That's not to say decentralized in the crypto way, where people are running validators and actually control the software and the hardware behind it. But with Threads Act use of this protocol, you can conceivably move your social followings from Threads to Mastodon or to one of these other protocols, what one of these other services that also use it. So it, in theory, frees up people to have a more versatile and more fluid social experience. So that's promising to me. It's something that you just don't see at all on Twitter. I think that Elon here is just very insecure about the position that he has, in which he's really just pissing off a lot of people. Yeah, I agree with you, Danny. I think Elon is pissing off a lot of people. They're trying to make business changes, but the changes they're making are affecting the end user, which I don't know if they're meaning for that to happen, or I don't know if they're thinking forward enough. A recent example of that was the limits on the amount of tweets you could view to try and address data scraping by brands, publishing companies for that kind of sentiment data. But who did it end up affecting? It ended up affecting users, making them upset, driving them to try out any number of these Twitter alternatives that have popped up in the last days. I wonder if this is going to be an opportunity for Elon to really kind of shift the business model of Twitter. You know, I think yesterday there was that story that came out and said he wants to change Twitter into like a WeChat of the West, where it's the app that you do everything in. That's really different than how Twitter looks today. So maybe there's a future where there's a version of Twitter that looks like the Twitter we use today. And then there's a version of Twitter that is completely different. And Elon's giga brain has a vision that we just cannot comprehend right now. Will, you got any last thoughts on this one? 
Yeah, I mean, Elon is going to test in prod, and I think he's held to that, right? There's been a lot of changes to Twitter, and they've moved forward with some, they've moved back with others. And I think that Twitter in a year is going to look a lot different than it is right now. So I'm not overly worried. I, I don't like the experience right now, but that's just one crypto Twitter person's opinion. So I don't know. Danny? Yeah, uh, I'm sticking with Twitter for now, I have to say. As much as I hate it, I really do love to hate it. So I can't cut it off. It's kind of part of it, right? It's part of the whole experience. Yeah, for sure. All right, we're going to leave it there. Maybe maybe we'll try Threads and Blue Sky and something else this weekend. Thank you for joining us on The Hash. Thank you to Danny Nelson and Will Foxley. I'm Jen Sinassi. We hope you have a great weekend, and we'll see you on Monday. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home yes, cool. or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.